Hello, I'm Eugene Chausovsky, a senior Eurasia analyst at Stratfor, and this podcast is brought to you by Stratfor Worldview, our premier digital publication for objective geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Individual, team, and enterprise memberships are available at worldview.stratfor.com slash subscribe. As a local journalist, as an Arabic-speaking journalist, we were often um, told to monitor Arabic-speaking media during the Arab Spring. And then I was increasingly seeing bylines by Arab women in local media and amazed by some of the work that they were doing. Welcome to the Stratfor Podcast. I'm Faisal Pervez. Saudi Arabia recently announced that it would allow women to apply for passports and travel on their own without a male guardian. To the West, that may seem like a long overdue move, but in Saudi Arabia, it's actually a huge change to long-held social customs. In many ways, women's role in the Arab world has been slowly evolving. Beirut-based journalist Zara Hankir understands this, which is one reason why she has collected a series of essays by Arab and Middle Eastern women about the lives they're experiencing because of and despite social norms. She spoke to Stratfor's Emily Hawthorne about the book. Let's listen in. Thanks for joining us for this Stratfor podcast. I'm Emily Hawthorne, and I focus on the Middle East and North Africa for Stratfor. I'm joined by Zahra Hankir, who has released a collection of essays that I found truly remarkable. Entitled Our Women on the Ground, it is a collection of 19 essays by Arab and Middle Eastern women about reporting from the Arab world most of whom chose to break cultural and societal norms to become reporters, telling the stories of their countries in a changing geopolitical world. Zahra, welcome to the Stratfor podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Emily. I'm really excited to to talk about the book with you. It's it's really a pleasure to have you on. Um, And first, for our listeners, can you share some details of your work and really what inspired you to begin uh, editing this book? Sure. So I, uh, I've always been obsessed with journalism. As a child, I grew up watching television. I grew up in the UK. My parents left Lebanon during the Civil War. So essentially, we always had the news on at home. It was just a permanent fixture. Uh, I use that phrase, and I actually think of one of the essayists as well in the book who similarly uses that phrase. She has a similar background to myself, uh, Hind Hassan, um, an Iraqi journalist. And basically, uh, I I felt at the time that news was just this fascinating um, uh, area that I had to explore. So when I went to um, university in Beirut after we returned to Lebanon, I became the editor-in-chief of the newspaper there. And it was during quite a tumultuous time in Lebanese history. It was when Rafiq Hariri was assassinated. And... um, the rest is history, really. I just discovered that this was what I wanted to be doing with my life. I went to Columbia Journalism School, and then I worked um, in Dubai for Bloomberg during the Arab Spring. And this is a good segue into how I came up with the idea for the book and what inspired me to do it. So as a local journalist, as an Arabic-speaking journalist, we were often um, told to monitor Arabic-speaking media I had a job that was Dubai-based, and it was primarily covering the Arab Spring from the economic perspective. So I was helping them do the monitoring of all of the um, the state uh, media outlets, which required following news constantly on the Arab Spring, which I think I would have done anyway. But because I was doing it professionally, it was even more of an intense situation for me. And then I was increasingly 
seeing bylines by Arab women in local media and amazed by some of the work that they were doing. A couple of those women are in this book. Um, and I felt also that the Western, um, the Arab uh, Western correspondents, so Arab American and, and also Arab British, were also doing brilliant work. And at the same time, I felt that the narrative on the Arab Spring in the international media landscape was being commanded by Westerners, which I don't think is surprising, but for me it was really heightened at the time because I was looking so closely at who was covering what and who was really speaking about the region with this level of authority um, that you you would come to expect from anyone who's covered the region. So I, I felt at the time that it would be great if, I guess it's selfish in a way because I felt I would love to read the stories of these women. What are their person, personal stories? What is the story behind the byline? We so frequently see Western foreign correspondents returning to their home countries after covering the Middle East for two or three years and writing a memoir. And I suddenly thought, well, how about we get these stories from these women um, into the mainstream in the same way that Westerners who are coming into the region to cover the region are doing? Um, that's quite a long answer there. <laughs> no, that, but it makes sense. And, and it leads into the next question that I wanted to ask, which is, how did you select the specific women featured in this volume? And, and was it difficult to convince them to share such personal stories? So that's such a good question. And it was one of the biggest challenges for me because I wanted really to illustrate through the selection of women and their stories, the diversity of the region. Um, one of my goals with this book was to, to kind of um, disrupt the idea of what an Arab or a Middle Eastern woman is. And therefore, I wanted there to be that range, whether it was in terms of their uh, ages, their nationalities, their backgrounds, their religious orientation, their the type of journalists they were, the type of journalism that they were doing, whether they had Western uh, a foot in the Western world or whether they were locals, whether they were fixers. I mean, as you can tell, there are so many things to take into consideration. So I had a long list basically where I was, um, you know, I just I knew some of the women myself because I had either worked with them or I had, as I said, followed their work during the Arab Spring. There were some countries I was less familiar with the media landscape. So I did the research in the case of Sudan, for example, I reached out to someone at um, Doctors Without Borders. Um, I just I basically did a lot of research and then. By the time I had a long list, I felt, okay, let me start reaching out to people and making sure that the diversity was there. I wanted there to be that range. I wanted some of the women to have left journalism and to have left the field and some to be still immersed in it. I, I felt that uh, they needed, a lot of them needed a bit of a nudge uh, in terms of opening up and telling their personal stories. And I think that's for a variety of reasons. They were surprised when I approached them. They would say things to me, more than one, I think four of them said to me, why would anyone want to read my story? Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, and that, I mean, I was in awe with the women who said that because, you know, they had experienced such trauma and then they were telling me, oh, well, what's so special about my story? And I think that's also because, you know, they come from a region which is rife with tragedy. So they're surrounded by tragic stories. So they felt, well, you know, why is my story unique? I think guilt is a theme that runs through this book. It wasn't just with the local women. It was also with the with the women of dual nationality and identity because they had enjoyed certain privileges growing up because they their families had left the conflict zones um, that they're from. And they felt, you know, well, I'm you know, I'm so lucky and I'm so privileged 
why would I write this story? It's something that I grapple with myself as a Lebanese uh, British who was born in the UK during the Civil War. So they required nudges. In some cases, some of the women were experiencing very obvious signs of PTSD. Not that I would diagnose them with such, but that's the feeling that I had. And so I had to be incredibly sensitive. I would sometimes, you know, ask someone to open up a little bit, but then I would step back and I would just give them time to process. Uh, so it was, um, I would say it was a delicate balance of, of nudging them and encouraging them and telling them people want to hear your stories and at the same time respecting their boundaries when they felt that, you know, they needed to take time to process things. And these stories are such a critical part of understanding politically and economically what's happening in the Arab world. So it, it really, I find for someone in, in my work trying to analyze the Middle East from sitting in a in a Western country, I, I can't do it without knowing some of those personal stories. So it, it, it really is powerful in that sense as well. And if you could talk to me about some of the entrenched societal norms that work against women reporters in the Arab world and Middle East in particular, um, this was something that almost all of the essays touched on about how societally and culturally there are certain barriers that they have to cross in order to do their work. Absolutely. I mean, the women who stand out for me in particular here are the Egyptian um, contributors. So that's Iman Hilal and Lina Atallah. They're both remarkable women. And then also the Yemeni journalist, uh, Amira Sharif, and to a large extent, the Palestinian journalist, Asma Al-Ghul, all remarkable women. All of them had to contend with serious familial obstacles, whether it was from their partners or from their their own families, their parents. I would add Zainal Hayim, actually, the Syrian journalist. You're right, it's probably the bulk of the women in the book experience this, whereby the idea of a woman being on the field covering war or covering uh, societal issues or simply by being out on the streets was you know, within their own context, radical. Um, you know, there were very few women in some of the cases doing the work that they were doing, particularly in Yemen. I think in Egypt, you have, a, a, you know, a lot of women who are doing this work and still they face these obstacles whereby, firstly, they have to contend with the home. So they have to contend with the parents feeling comfortable with them being journalists or even allowing them to be journalists in the first place. So Amira, for example, concealed from her family, the Yemeni journalist, that she was becoming a photojournalist and she wanted that to be her career. And then you've got them having to contend with with being out in, on the street, for example, or taking photographs in spaces where, you know, males might harass them or sexually assault them. And this is a, a theme that comes out in Iman Hilal's essay, where the societal norm is the woman should be in the home raising a family, focusing on that aspect of her life rather than the professional aspect. And then you've got the workplace. So she's then having to contend with being in a workplace which is male dominated, where she's fighting to go on assignments that are traditionally given to men. Um, and then you ha actually have the other level, you know, the actual governments and the authorities um, that they're having to occasionally write about and um, face threats and intimidation and detentions from. So really, the, the norms, when, when we talk about norms, they're on so many levels. And so many of these women, more so those outside of Lebanon, because that is a particularly unique situation, um, they, they face those challenges and they face those constraints. And they wanted to tell those stories because they fought to get to where they are today. And they're proud of themselves for doing so. And I was in awe of them. I'm pretty much in love, I think, with every single <laughs> author in this book. Yeah, so definitely societal norms and, and rising up against was, was a really strong theme in the book. 
If you'd like to learn more about this book, we'll have details in our show notes. One of the most resonant elements of this conversation so far is the passion with which these female reporters are changing the narrative with nuanced narratives on their world. Understanding how social norms, customs, and domestic politics work is a critical element of how Stratford delivers customized intelligence for clients. Stratford Worldview Enterprise and Stratford Threat Lens can help you identify, anticipate, and mitigate risks in areas that emerging threats may pose to your people and interests. If you're not already a Stratford member, you can learn more at stratford.com enterprise. Now, let's get back to Emily Hawthorne and Zara Hankir. Welcome back. I'm speaking with Zahra Hankir about her book, Our Women on the Ground, Essays by Arab Women Reporting from the Arab World. Well, you just mentioned Amira El-Sharif. She discussed most overtly a refreshing theme that popped up in several of these essays, which was hope. Hope for a new beginning for one's country, hope for one's family, hope for one's career. I wondered if you wouldn't mind reading Amira El-Sharif's passage where she discusses hope for her country. Sure, I'd love to read some of Amira's essay. This is towards the end of the essay. She writes, I have hope in this darkness. We can't bring back the dead or restore the disabled, the disfigured, and the limbless. We can't bring back the ruins of ancient Yemen, our historical paradise lost. But we can hope and we can fight. Yemen will one day, once again, be known for its cinema, its mocha coffee, its clothes, its Jewish musicians, its islands, and its caves. It will be a tourist destination. The youth who have fled the country with their families will return. So that's that's definitely hopeful, considering the um, the context within which she was writing. It's remarkable that she she's able to find that hope. I found it to be such a refreshing essay and that passage in particular because it really forces the reader to consider what Yemen will look like in the future and the the different possibilities for what Yemen can and and will and could be in a way that just defies a lot of the conflict reporting, which is necessary, absolutely necessary. But the stories in this book sort of draw out different futures for the Middle East. And I don't think that's possible without the sort of personal angle that these women put on their stories. I think so, too. I mean, the thing with Amira as well, and with so many of these women, is that in a way, they're cornered into covering war uh, because they didn't have other choices. So, for example, with Amira, she, you know, she wasn't able to navigate male-dominated spaces. So she found herself in spaces where women were, were really the ones who were calling the shots, and they were you know, they were doing the hard work and they were raising the children and and they were putting food on the table however they could find it. And she she sort of worked within that framework and felt, this is what I want to be doing anyway. I don't want to be telling harrowing stories. I don't want to be showing images of death and destruction. I believe that these pockets of, of hope are the future. And I want to focus on, you know, celebrating birth rather than, than mourning death, for example. And I thought that that was just such a beautiful approach to writing about uh, Yemen that we're not familiar with. We don't see that sort of coverage of Yemen. If you think of Yemen, you think of mal, you know, malnourished children, you think of the war and the destruction. Obviously, those are realities. But Amira, as a Yemeni herself, felt, I want to tell this other side, this hopeful side of the story. And that access into male-dominated spaces as a woman and this reality that 
Um, and this is something I even encountered as a Western woman when I lived in Egypt and in the UAE. And I think it surprises people sometimes. But being a woman in some of these male-dominated spaces, it can actually open up some doors in surprising ways. And you can be given access to conversations that a man couldn't access in certain spaces. And you're, you can sometimes be viewed as non-threatening. I mean, do you think that this can be the case for women reporters? Mm-hmm. I touch on that in my in my introduction, actually, and I definitely agree with you. And um, one of the women who comes to mind actually is Shamaya Lanur, who's the Sudanese journalist, who I think really faced that because she was kind of thought, you know, they thought of her as being non-threatening. And let's let her um, interview uh, Musa Hilal, you know, who's the head of the Janjaweed. Like, fine, let's let her do it. Like, she's not going to be threatening in any way. And she went and she didn't. She wrote an explosive story at the time that basically said that he was inter- he had political ambitions in Sudan. And the fact that she did that shows you really that, you know, she wasn't taken seriously. She was able to to get into those spaces. She did it. She was proud of herself. She was owning that accomplishment. And she was saying, you know, this is what I do. This is my profession. This is my way of life. It's almost like she she looks at journalism as beyond just the day job. It's really for her, her entire existence revolves around it. She's aware that she has that ability because she's a woman, but she works within it. You know, she's not abusing it or taking advantage of it. At the same time, women suffer because they, they are not taken seriously. So they might face harassment and sexual assault. And you see that from Iman Hilal's essay and, and several others. So I do think it's a double-edged sword and a very, very difficult situation for most women journalists, not just Arabs. I think even in other, definitely in other countries, that sometimes we are not taken as seriously as males. We have to be very careful in the way that we navigate that. I found the stories in this book humbling in their portrayal of determination and work ethic. And I was curious if you could comment on whether you see journalism as an exceptionally difficult career to pursue in the Middle East for women, but also for men. Sure, I definitely agree with you. I think um, it is an incredibly difficult career to pursue. It's, I think, more difficult in some countries than others. For example, uh, countries in which there are wars like Syria and Yemen and so on. Obviously, um, it's harder to be a journalist in those places. Um, And then you have other countries where, for example, it might seem like it's freer than countries in which there are war or authoritarian governments, but there's a lot of self-censorship. And I'm thinking specifically of Lebanon there. There's a huge threat to pretty much any journalist who pursues the truth that falls outside of party lines, outside of government lines. Um, outside of uh, publications that have strong business interests with particular individuals. A lot of people do risk their lives, not just in terms of going to the front lines, but also in terms of speaking out against certain regimes. Uh, So that would be more on the analytical and editorial side, but that's still something that obviously we're aware of with the the brutal murder of Jamal Khashoggi. You know, and also I think generally that uh, journalists are not protected uh, in a way that they might be by, let's say, Western um, organizations sending over foreign correspondents to the Middle East. Um, local journalists tend to, ha- tend to have um, less protection, if, you know, if at all, they might not have any. So actually, the numbers speak for themselves as well. I mean, Reporters Without Borders has consistently ranked uh, Arab and Middle Eastern countries among the lowest um, in the world in terms of um, press freedoms and safety. Uh, and I think And I I do want to say this. I think that women journalists in particular are operating within an environment that's even more difficult for them because they're also among the most repressed women in the world. It's almost difficult for me to say that, but it's a reality. And the reason why I say it's difficult to say it is, is that 
I partially wanted to disrupt stereotypes that women were repressed and so on in the region. But it is a reality. I think the way that we're disrupting the stereotypes here is by saying these women are resilient and they're working within these incredibly difficult environments. But look at the range of women that we have. Look at the great work that, that they're doing. Look at how brave they are and look at how they're rising up to all these challenges. This is the Arab world. It's incredibly diverse and incredibly rich. And I hope that that's something that readers take away from the book. Maybe you can tell me if you did. <laughs> That is absolutely what I took away from this book. It's a collection of stories on a personal level that brought me to tears every other chapter, but it's also a really critical perspective on the political dimension and history of all of these countries that these women are writing from. And I saw pictures you know, that I had seen in publications in years past and getting to read sort of the personal words of the woman who took that picture, um, I found a really powerful experience. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Zahra Hankir has edited the book, Our Women on the Ground, Essays by Arab Women Reporting from the Arab World. Thank you so much, Emily, for having me. I really appreciated this chat. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We'll have links to Our Women on the Ground in our show notes, along with more reading suggestions from worldview.stratfor.com. If you'd like to know more about how Stratfor's team of analysts can help your organization monitor geopolitical risk, visit stratfor.com slash enterprise. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this podcast or ideas for future ones. Please leave a review on the Stratfor podcast page on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. For more geopolitical intelligence and links to our content, follow us on Twitter at Stratfor. I'm Faisal Pervez. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 